You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion, works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. We are so delighted to be here with all of you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for being together. Thanks for choosing to spend this important time here in this space. Exactly where we are, breathing the same air, sharing the same experience, even as we are personalizing it in our own bodies and minds. For our opening uh, music today, we're going to share a song that's familiar to these fine folks. These are some of the folks who went on our Boston pilgrimage this last week, some of our 10th graders. We'll share more about that a little bit later on in the service, but we want to open with a song that grounded us throughout our journey, and the song is called Centering Prayer. It's by a group called The Porter's Gate, and it's about being very present to exactly where we are in the moment. I'll teach this song one line at a time, and then we'll sing it through a couple of times together uh, to get really centered, centered and grounded in our bodies, in our spirits, and in this space. I'll sing it line by line. I'll sing a line, and I'll encourage you to sing it back to me. It goes like this. I want to be where my feet are. I want to be where my feet are. Next line. I want to breathe the life around me. I want to breathe the life around me. I want to I want to breathe the life 
of something earthy and sweet. I knew what that smell was, little sizzlers. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, they're these short pork breakfast sausages, and I loved them. I threw off the covers, and I went into the kitchen. And there was Phyllis in the kitchen cooking my favorite breakfast. And it wasn't the only smell. I took in the wonderful and cloying smell of Phyllis's cigarette smoke. She loved to cook and smoke at the same time. And so, uh, as she talked and cooked and smoked, um, her ashes were falling on the stove and on the table and on the floor and kind of wherever. Now, I also picked up the smell of men's cologne. Fred was getting ready to take his mother to church, something that he did every single Sunday. It was a Sunday morning in small town Minnesota. After breakfast, I moved some of the dishes to the sink, but then I heard the clatter of dice and the thump-thump of a vinyl cup signaling from Phyllis, it's time to play Yahtzee now. <laughs> we did that on a daily basis. Now, these weren't blood relatives, and they weren't foster parents but they were family. They told me and everyone that I knew that they knew they, I was the daughter they never had. And their two sons, Freddie and Polly, they were my brothers and I was their sister. I was a mixed up teenager and Fred and Phyllis and Fred and Paul took me in when my parents were gone, sometimes for months. They were interested in me. They asked me about myself. They kept a bedroom for me. And they told me they missed me when I was gone. We weren't perfect, but I had a place there. It was a home for me to return to, and it still is. I still feel their presence even now. Their loving kindness was healing, and I want to give that to others. Fred and Phyllis and Polly and Freddie showed me how to think about family differently. My family has several mothers and fathers, and I'm deeply grateful for each one of them. It took a lot of people to keep me alive. I learned that biological family doesn't need to be always the core source of home. And I'm learning how to be family to others. 
These are gifts that we can give each other. The experience of being family for each other. A way to love better. A place to rest. A refuge and embrace. For a moment or a lifetime. And isn't that why we come to church? Welcome to First Universalist Church. Welcome newcomers and visitors, our guests. Your presence here is a gift to us, and we are so glad that you're here. Welcome longtime members, new members, online friends, and others who will listen later. Your return blesses our community in its wisdom. Each life here who's gathered gives strength to our common journey now and the living paths that we take throughout our days. We celebrate you, we love, and we welcome you each of you, it matters to our community that you are here. I'm Nancy Potter. I'm one of the worship associates. And today I am joined by some youth from our community who recently returned from exploring our faith's history in Boston. And by Dr. Glenn Thomas, Reverends Jen and Arif, Allison, by Olu and John, who help us to experience worship clearly and connect with the world, and by ushers and greeters and artists of all kinds. Many hands have prepared this space with grace and care. This moment is a gift of many hours and is meant to keep and change us all, to wake us up and to help us rest. Let's pause to notice how life is breathing through us now. I invite you to notice the body that is holding you. Let the body show you the way to soften and loosen, to be where our feet are. As your body begins to settle, carefully choose a word that you hope to find in our time together. Let this hope breathe in slowly and deeply in three meaningful breaths.
May we find peace and inspiration in the familiar places and where we've never thought to look before. Now I'm going to invite Isla and Bobby to kindle the chalice flame. Please join us in saying the words for letting our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and love, and to help one another. With our hearts and hands now open, let us receive and grow in this beloved community for the good of all life. We journey together as love calls us now. On our Boston trip, we got the pleasure and honor to have worship with the Hums group from Boston University. I would like to share with you their affirmations or their lighting chalice words. We covenant to gather in celebration of our wholeness, to accompany each other in grief and joy, to nourish tenacity, and to speak the truth in love. This is how we worship, here and always, for we have a stake in each other's flourishing. This Sunday, we are closing our month with the theme of learning from one another. By creating this worship service together, largely comprised of the voices of some of our 10th grade youth who recently participated in a pilgrimage to Boston. As a group of 15 through 17-year-olds, they completed coming of age last year and as such were officially welcomed into our company as peers in seeking religious and spiritual growth, wisdom, and understanding. In the COA service, we, the adults in the congregation, pledge to scoot over and make space in the pews for them, to listen and to learn from them as they question, learn, discover, and grow. And so today we get to practice that, knowing that in multi-generational community we give and receive wisdom in all directions, knowing that when we said yes, to making space for them last year. What we were saying yes to is that we are all, as a congregation, learning to speak in multiple voices, multiple languages of expression of Unitarian Universalism. And this morning's service reflects that. It very much reflects the language and the expression of our youth. The pilgrimage that they undertook is a more or less yearly journey here at First Universalist. It is the culmination of coming of age, and it endeavors to help our youth embody what can be fairly abstract. It, help, it, it endeavors to help our youth understand the people, the places, the smell of the earth, the feel of the rain, the colors of fall, and the taste of New England apples, all of this and more from which our faith springs. As a minister who has accompanied this trip twice and looks forward to many more, I can tell you that each time I go, 
I learn from the questions that our youth share. I learn from the insights that they have. I learn from the looks on their faces as they hear a story or touch the careworn wood of 200-year-old pews. I can tell you that I learn from how they take their turns posing in old and storied pulpits. I can tell you that we grow together as their questions form those of their chaperones and that our questions in turn form them right back. And so we have the opportunity now to learn from their learning, knowing that in this learning together, we will all grow a little bit more individually and collectively. One of the pieces that our youth asked us to include in today's service is a land acknowledgement. Everywhere we traveled on our pilgrimage together, the congregations and communities that we visited shared pieces of their larger story, acknowledging that even though their name might be the first church of whatever town we were visiting, they were never in fact the first peoples of that land. Their stories got us wondering about our own here at First Universalist. And while this congregation has moved physically several times and we can't trace our history back to this exact plot of land, we do know that it was not all that long before our congregation was formed that a Dakota community lived just down the hill at Bidet Makaska. We know that just like our New England Unitarian and Universalist ancestors, our congregation was founded and supported by leaders of industry and that the westward expansion that we were a part of was also a part of devastation for so many Native peoples. As we learn our larger history, may we tell a fuller story, not shying away from the complexity of who we are and who we have been, but instead learning to practice truth-telling, repentance, and repair, and growing that strength in all of us.
All right, so I'm gonna tell a story, and if you are a kid or a youth, or you're a kid or a youth at heart, I would love it if you would come and join me up here. Wow. So this is a story that my friend Cooper wrote, and sadly he could not be with us this morning, but um, it's still a good story, so we're going to tell it. Um, I want all of you guys to think of your favorite plant. Does anybody have a favorite plant they would like to share with me? Lemons? The aloe plant in your house? Yeah. A sunflower, yeah. Apple trees, yeah. A Venus flytrap, those are pretty cool, yeah. So say that your plant is having trouble. Maybe its leaves are dried out, maybe it's not producing the fruit that you want it to be, maybe it's dying. What would you do to help figure out what's wrong with the plant? Any ideas? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. You'd give it water. Mm -hmm. Keep track of the things that are in the air. Talk to it. Mm hmm yeah. Mm -hmm. Ask a friend who might know a lot about plants. So these are all really good ideas. We might make sure it's getting enough water, enough sunlight. Um, now imagine that you're having a really bad day. Maybe you forgot your favorite book at home, or you're just having a hard day. What would you do to try and make yourself feel better? Yeah. Take deep breaths, draw, dress up the aloe plant. <laughs> so we all thought to look into ourselves when we were having a hard day to try and figure out what was wrong and focus on ourselves. But when we go back and we think about that plant, we're checking its surroundings, right, to figure out what's wrong. So maybe when we're having a bad day, we can reach out to the people around us, our surroundings, and maybe they can help us feel better. Yeah? Yeah. All right. The end. That's all I've got for you.
guitar. You continue settling and journeying through this service, thinking about ourselves and our surroundings. I invite you to join me. I want to be where my feet are. I want to breathe the life around me. I want to listen as my heart beats right on time. I want to be where my feet are. I want to be As these words continue to echo in our minds, I invite us deeper into that practice of being where our feet are. Whatever we are doing, wherever we are, I invite us to pause and plant your feet firmly on the ground if you can. Feel that solid ground beneath you, that trustworthy earth that is always leaning toward life. This is where our feet are. Together we breathe, breathing in the life that is around us, exchanging energy and air, the building blocks of life with each other and this planet. We are where our feet are. We breathe in the life that is around us, and we feel our heartbeat right on time. If you'd like, you can place a hand over your heart to feel that steady rhythm, to feel your heart beating right on time. You have a place here. You have a place right where your feet are. You have a place in this space of connection, of shared breath, of shared hope and longing. You have a home here on this earth, here in your body, here in this community. I invite us to call to mind the people and the places that signal home to us. Maybe it's a smell. Maybe it's a feeling. Maybe it's a memory. What signals home for you? And what room do we need to make? Where might we need to scooch over? creating space for all of the parts of ourselves, all of the parts of who we are, all of the people, 
and beings this planet we need to make room for in this shared home. In this space of shared breath, in this lineage of longing to live into the good, to embody a love big enough to hold us all, a love we did not earn and cannot lose, a love that will not let us go. We practice together, making room for it all. And so here together, I invite us to bring to mind all that we are carrying, our hopes and fears, our worries, our celebrations, our sorrows, and to bring them to this community. I invite you to write those in the chat or speak them out loud or hold them quietly in your heart if you wish in this community together. We do this now. We pray for the people of Gaza, for the people of Israel and Palestine and Ukraine. We pray that hostages might return home, that fighting will cease, that the human impulse to hurt and kill might be interrupted. Our hearts are heavy and we pray for peace. We give thanks for all those who care for each other here in this community and beyond these walls. And we give thanks especially for our memorial reception teams, for the volunteers here who took such good care of Karen Willie and her family yesterday as we celebrated the life of her husband, Mike. And together we pray that the weight of oppression be lightened, that the grip of addiction might loosen, that grief might be shared and joy might break through as love makes every suffering bearable for us all. Amen.
It is now that time in our service where we give and receive our offering, which today is going to fund the Boston pilgrimage, which is an amazing experience. And if any of you get to experience it, like, get ready. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> Boston trip this last week, we learned about our religious ancestors. We did not, however, learn history. We heard stories. Heard stories about people in new places. People trying to find a more right way to maneuver through a broken world. We learned stories from whole human beings. We heard their stories. We walked in their footsteps. We got to learn the why of our faith in the same places our ancestors stood, our roots reaching out, finding new stories, new connections. We come from a line of thinkers, of dreamers, of people working towards a future nobody else could see. That makes me pretty proud to be a Unitarian Universalist. We also come from a line of people who benefited from slavery who owned slaves. We come from a line of people who were elite, who had the most money, the most power, the most prestige, and that's how they had a voice. That's how these ideas, our ideas, were spread. That's how our religion was formed. So what does that mean today? What does that mean for us as modern new use? How do we tell the stories of our religious ancestors knowing that they were part of systems so opposite to our values? Sometimes the stories that we tell can be made better by taking the real human beings within them and elevating them so we can aspire to be like them. In history, we take the humanity out of our most regarded figures to make them something more than they are, to make them as perfect as possible. So what happens when we give our historical figures back their stories? When we give these figures back the ability to be human? When we recognize that they did so much good while still taking missteps and winding from the path of what we think is right? We still have to listen. We have to listen to what they were saying, and we have to strive to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. William Ellery Channing stood by the fact that humans could be better. There was more to go, and the only thing holding us back was the idea of what we could do. Maybe the mistakes of our ancestors are not bad. Maybe they are just more of the lesson that they have to give us. Maybe their mistakes are just pushing us to do better, to be better, to think bigger, to go wider than they ever could in their lives. Isla, Max, and Marina are going to tell us some more stories that we heard while we were on this trip. And as they are telling them, I want you to think about what these stories are teaching us. What through lines are you hearing and what can we learn from them? Isla? 
I will just say that video gets funnier each and every time I watch it. I, it's something else. My name is Isla Meisenberg. I'm a 10th grader at Pimarts High School. I help teach here at church, teach the sixth graders. They're absolutely fantastic, I love them. I was lucky enough to be able to be a youth representative on the past board meeting for the church. And I had the honor of going to Boston with my best friends. I highly recommend it, 10 out of 10. Beautiful, gorgeous weather, beautiful photos taken, as you saw from the video. Mm -hmm. We went to Salem and Harvard. We went to a ton of different places, and it was absolutely beautiful. We specifically got to go to this really underground place. You've probably never heard of it. It's called Harvard School. Yeah, <laughs> me neither. Totally new thing for me. We got to go to the Divinity School of Harvard. The architecture was beautiful and magnificent. The statues, amazing. And they have a pretty good log program, but we weren't there for that. We were for other stuff. One statue caught my eye. It was a statue of John Harvard. You know, Harvard University, rings a bell, same person. It's one, it's one of the big statues in front of a building. When we first walked by it, I was like, Psh, it's a statue. We have those in Minnesota. It's not that big of a deal. On the front of the statue, it says, John Harvard, founder, 1638. To anybody passing by, it will be a simple, boring statue. But to our tour guide, he knew much more. He started off by telling us that this statue was a complete lie. Nothing on it was true. Now, I wouldn't have guessed that, because it's Harvard. I know, I mean, it's Harvard. Like, I'm obviously going to believe a lot of things that come out of that place. First of all, the statue of John Harvard, he wasn't even the founder. It's just, they just used his name. He didn't even go to Harvard. He donated 400 books to the library and a whole lot of money. And then he got his name on the front place. Harvard was actually founded by the great general court of Massachusetts Bay. The second lie is that Harvard was not founded in, 13, in 1638. Very close. It was actually created in 1637. It is the oldest institute, institute of higher education in the United States. Harvard was founded to educate ministers, mostly these ministers being of Puritan descent. And the last lie, and the funniest one, in my opinion, is the statue isn't even of John Harvard. <laughs> the problem was, is that there was a painting of him. There was one painting. And unfortunately, it burned down on a fire a couple of years before. So instead, the artist asked a random man to sit in so that they could make a statue of some dude. The only reason we found out is because our guide was like, yo, this isn't true. I don't know what people see in this. It's not that great. The whole thing is that stories and history are passed down through people like a game of telephone. Now, if you've ever played telephone, it is very difficult to get the proper thing because you could start off with, um, my best friend is so funny, and it could be, pizza is delicious at the end. Don't really know how that happened, but it does. Now, when you finally are able to find the true part of a story, you have to look back and see the facts. And the only way you're going to get that is if you look at all of history through different people's perspectives. I hope you can take away from the story, not that Harvard has some weird statues and a lot of money, but that even when you're seeing something and you think it's true, you should always change your perspective, maybe just a little bit, 
to see a better story. During our trip to Boston, we stopped in a particular town on the outskirts of the Boston area. Concord, Massachusetts is home to Walden Pond, the site of Henry David Thoreau's book, Walden. Disclaimer, Thoreau is how you pronounce his last name back in the day. If you are not familiar with Thoreau, he was a 19th century writer and philosopher and a well-known transcendentalist. Being a transcendentalist, Thoreau felt deeply connected to the natural world around him. He moved to Walden Pond to live deliberately, to work for himself and his survival. During his stay at Walden, Thoreau preferred to be left to his own thoughts, but by no means did he mind the company of others. I'll get back to Thoreau later. After our tour with Thoreau, rather Richard, a reenactor, we took a lovely walk around Walden Pond. We were given about 45 minutes to explore the area around the lake and turn our brains off before meeting at a beach to finish our tour. I will admit, I may have misunderstood the directions a little bit. About 20 minutes in, after it had started raining, I felt a sudden burst of energy. My meditative walk turned into a meditative run, and the rest of the time was spent running around the pond in the increasingly pouring rain. The pond was more the size of a lake, but that's besides the point. It was overjoyed to run around the lake, passing confused tourists on the way, and stopping only once I saw the no running on the pond trail sign. <laughs> I can imagine Thoreau and people in this church today having similar experiences in natural areas that they feel connected to. Let me tell you a fun fact about Thoreau. According to Richard, Thoreau ate his desserts without sugar. Him and his family were abolitionists, and Thoreau's mom cooked without sugar as it as it would have been most likely produced by slave labor in the South. She didn't want to be complicit in the slavery-based economy of the time and found ways to make it otherwise. I'll leave it up to your interpretation, but I think everyone can take something out of Thoreau's lack of sugar. There's one more thing I want to mention about my knowledge of Thoreau. He immersed himself in his spirituality by living around Walden Pond and traveling all over the Northwoods. In one treacherous journey to Maine, to, to Maine's highest mountain, he had many near-death experiences to reach its summit. When he came back, he felt somewhat different about the world around him. Thoreau was amazed by the beauty of Maine, but also given a newfound fear of nature and appreciation of the human society that shields us from the elements. His experiences and beliefs shaped his faith into his own unique take on our world. That's what I find so beautiful about our church, a mix of different beliefs shaped by different experiences, united by a common desire for love, community, and justice. Thank you. Those were just a few of the stories we heard on our Boston trip. On that trip, we also wrote six-word stories. Some examples would be, fall surrounds me, raring to go, and I wish all had this beauty. I don't have a story to tell you, but I invite you all to think of a six-word story yourself and share it with your neighbor.
On this trip, we talked a lot about origins. Origins, stories, through lines, communities, situations, places, people, and history. The good and the bad. And what we came to is people. Real, whole human beings that needed, needed each other. Real, whole human stories that we need now. We have this community, so reach out. We have these stories, so dig in. Complicate the stories that you're telling. A lot of the time, they just become more meaningful. Let's sing together. The hymn is 1064, Blue Boat Home. I invite you to rise. Yeah. <laughs> Online folks, if you didn't hear that, the entire room is, ah. Yes, of course. Worship together is ending, but the stories that we have told here are not. Think about the complicated people who made it so that you could be here now. 
think about your origins, whatever that may mean for you. Remember that we have each other. Remember that we have the knowledge to move through the world as a community. Think critically about the stories that you are telling and remember that they are meaningful and important. Know that you are enough and you are never alone. Each one of you is whole and capable. Together, we are even more powerful. That power is seated deep within every one of us. Go to be a blessing and to be blessed. Go forth to live fully. Think about the stories that you are telling. May it be so, and amen.
Thanks for listening. If you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. We'd love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.